Welcome to the Warrior School Podcast, the podcast for women who train. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. I believe the quality of our cycles determines the quality of our training and lives. And I believe lifting weights, knowing our cycles, and training with them is the future of women's training. Each week on the podcast, myself and other professionals will talk about how to know your cycle, eat to support your physiology and training, and how to train smart so you can finally get the results that you want in your training. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. Warrior Woman, welcome back to the podcast. I am on day four of my cycle. And we are on episode 64. We missed an episode last week, and that was because of the sound quality. So I am trying to fix it, and hopefully this week you'll have two episodes to listen to on the Warrior School podcast, which will be super cool. But today I have a fellow coach, weightlifter from Melbs, Australia, Dr. Katie also known as the Barbell Osteo, is on the podcast today. And we're going to talk about nailing the basics. Katie is an osteopath, weightlifter, personal trainer, and weightlifting coach in Melbourne, Australia. We first met back in 2015 when we were competing in Olympic lifting, and we competed against each other. She has a double bachelor's degree in health science and applied science in osteopathy. In our conversation today, Katie shares her story of trying to qualify for the Commonwealth Games and the toll it took on her health, how she was trying to be really competitive in weightlifting in this sport that demands so much from the mind and body while also studying full-time to complete her degree in osteopathy. We talk about the basics you need to nail to support your health and your training and why these basics are key, really to help us get results. The difference between health and performance, and the importance of learning to breathe and building a foundation. I could really talk to her for hours. Uh, It was a pleasure to have her on the podcast, and she will be back. In our next episode, we're going to talk about how to integrate Uh, and optimize the rib cage and pelvic floor biomechanics in training and lifting, which I'm super excited about. She runs seminars uh, on this topic. And so when I get her back on, we're going to focus in on our conversation a little bit more and really talk about the breath, the rib cage and the pelvic floor, especially when it comes to females and Olympic lifting. Okay, so enjoy. Enjoy this episode with the Barbell Osteo. We'll just start. Yeah. Freestyle. Freestyle. That's my favorite. I love freestyling it. I love just making it up. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Beautiful. Well, let's do it. Let's chat. Awesome. Okay. So I would love to start like around your story. So Mm -hmm. could you tell us what you do now and then let's go back and like connect the dots because I like going back and connecting all these dots to yeah paint your story about you know why you do what you do now okay cool so 
Now what I do is I basically work with weightlifters, strength athletes, crossfitters, even just people that want to use a barbell in their kind of daily training and basically just help them optimize their movement, um, improve their range of motion if that's kind of their goals and basically get out of pain if they're having issues with specific movements. Um, I also offer um, weightlifting coaching. So I coach a bunch of girls and a couple of guys. Um, they do competitions. So I kind of have stepped into the coach role as well in the last like six months. Um, and as well as that, I'm an osteopath. So I do treat manually and do some manual therapy as well as kind of like exercise, breathing, intervention as well. So I've got a few kind of hats that I wear depending on kind of what I need to do for who. Yeah, there's a lot of dots there. <laughs> there is a few, yes. There's a few dots. I'm working on streaming, streamlining them, but at the moment, all the dots are everywhere. So, but it's good because I think it like just enables me to, like bounce between a few different scenarios and it keeps things fresh and exciting and like it doesn't become like a monotonous kind of role like I can kind of just adapt each day which I think is really fun yeah it's really cool yeah it's awesome I feel very privileged to be able to do what I do and I think like yeah because I I was a weightlifter um as you know we competed against each other a few times so I was trying to basically be an elite level weightlifter for a very long time um, whilst I was also studying to become an osteopath forced me to kind of figure out what my like goals were as a osteopath and a coach and a weightlifter I kind of started to realize that I just didn't have that same passion to be like an athlete myself anymore I kind of got to the point where I was like I'm making too many trade-offs in my day-to-day -day life and I just kind of I'm not enjoying the trade-offs whereas I used to like relish in them and think that was amazing that I could be so disciplined whereas now I'm kind of like okay I'm looking for a bit more balance and like sanity and health in general so COVID kind of taught me to take a step back and like really look inside myself and be like what do you want to be like what is your legacy what what is that that makes you happy like because being an athlete I guess is such a selfish endeavor that I got to the point where I was like, I don't have enough like fire in me for this goal anymore. But what I do have is a lot of education and a lot of passion to help other people that are probably in this same role and maybe feeling this way. Um, and maybe feeling like either in pain or burnt out or not in balance or just not enjoying their training. So I kind of like started to realize that there was probably a pretty big gap for someone to kind of step into that role and start to be a bit more of a coach, educator, teacher for weightlifters in general. So yeah, that's kind of like the catalyst for this big, big change for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you were, uh, you were studying at the same time you were still weightlifting and competing in weightlifting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, about I know you just mentioned it then that, yeah. you know, you had these, these two goals, these big goals, <laughs> yeah. studying osteopathy, which was full-time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Full-time, yeah. five years, big degree. <laughs> a big <laughs> a degree. Yes. Yeah. A really big degree. And then uh, for those of you who don't know much about weightlifting or you don't know much about like the training behind it, do you want to speak to that? Like what it yeah. actually takes? What did the training look like uh, for you as well as doing full-time <laughs> uni? 
Yeah, it was a lot. Like it was pretty huge. And I think the more serious the weightlifting became, the more like I had to kind of just, it's like you can only give so much of yourself. And if you've got two really big endeavors in your life, like everything else suffered. So relationships, my job or like my, the, the person I was at my other jobs, like I wasn't proud of, um, like social life in general just kind of didn't exist. And I think like I was perpetually exhausted, but not sleeping. So that was a fun time. Like I was just so, um, so overrun with trying to be an achiever. So I guess for me, like depending on where I was in my weightlifting kind of cycles or um, programming, I was up, doing up to nine sessions a week. So I was doing two double days which was just insane when I look back. So I would literally like work in the morning. So I was coaching CrossFit. So that would be like a 5 a.m. start. Then I would go to do my first session or do my first session. Then I'd go to uni. So uni would be from like nine till four, depending on the day. Then I'd go back and either train again or train and coach again. So it was pretty much like leaving my house at 4.45 a.m., getting back to my house at 9, 9-ish p.m., in bed by 10, like not not a sustainable lifestyle. So that was a good four, five years. I think when I got closer to my um, interning years for osteo and I had to do placements, that's when I kind of realized that I can't be doing that as well as coaching. I just couldn't, like it wasn't enough. um, I didn't have enough space and like life in me to give to other people. And because my priority at that stage was still to be an osteopath and a elite athlete, I kind of had to step back from my job and my job at the time was CrossFit coaching. So step back from that and kind of just try and find another role that suited me. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty interesting time of my life. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of probably athletes that try to study can probably sympathize. Like I think we're trying to do so much and we just assume that adding more is going to make us better. So it's like, okay, I want to get to this goal. Like, let's add another session. Like, I want to, I want to achieve this at this competition. Let's start doing double days. Like, it just became like this never-ending journey of like trying to add more to my plate and still keep all the balls in the air, which was yeah, successful enough. But probably like there was a lot of things I definitely learned from that time. I'd say. Yeah, a couple. When you talk about that, well, it resonates so with my story. I wasn't studying uh, full time when I was lifting, but there's a couple of pieces uh, that I pulled out of of that when you were speaking, and uh, one is this: like, you know, we can do it all. Kind of, uh, I think perspective that we have, uh, especially as women. Uh, is that, you know, we can, we can do it all. And, you know, I work with a lot of females who are mums, you know, and they have these goals, these performance goals or these goals around body composition. And, but they also have like three kids. They have a full-time job. They have like all of these other stresses that are in their life. So the same, when you were like, you were doing full-time uni, you were also coaching and then you were trying to lift at a level that's like, you know, that requires you to train like 20, 25 hours a week or more. And we can do, I believe that, you know, we can do it all for a little while, but then it's at the detriment to, like you just said, 
It can be at the detriment to our nervous system, our hormonal health. We could get injured. We can't progress in the training. We're tired. We're irritable. It affects our relationships. And so, yeah, that's like the biggest piece I think I pull out of what your, your story around, you know, trying to do these two big things. And I think that, and I know you work with a lot of women that, you know, they, they have these goals and they have an expectation around how to perform and, you know, maybe their body composition that, you know, goals are great, but there is often this gap between like the expectation and the reality. And so when you were speaking, you had this expectation to perform at this level and, you know, expect these things from your body and from you as, you know, a student studying and then there was a reality of, you know, 5 a.m. wake-ups, tr- training and studying and placements. and Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time. But you're right. I think, like, I see it in so many of the girls that I work with um, and the athletes that I work with that even though I don't coach them specifically, like, I do movement education stuff with them. And it is a really common theme in weightlifters in general, Um, I think like it does attract a kind of person who like really wants to tap into like, I don't know, that really deep desire to push themselves to their absolute limit. And that's an amazing thing. And like, it'll teach you a lot about yourself, this sport, I think. Um, But at the same time, I guess like it can also uncover a lot of other things and imbalances. And I guess like, I always, when I, when I start to work with someone, I'll always be like, okay, I want to know what your goal is because if your goal is performance or your goal is health, that looks really different to me. You know what I mean? And there's, there's for me to do my job adequately, I need to know where you stand on that spectrum because if you want to feel good and do the lifts because you love them, but you still want to be a mom and you still want to go to work and you want to like have a social life, like I can program you for that kind of like lifestyle. If you're someone who's like, nah, I want to go to the Commonwealth Games. I want to go to the Olympics. I want to represent Australia. Like I can help you program for that as well. But there's some trade-offs that you're going to have to make. And there's some conversations that we have to have. And I think like being really upfront with lifters about that is also good. Because I think um, in my experience, a lot of coaches will just kind of promise the world like, oh, you've got some talent. You can get to this place. But there's no transparency with the sacrifice that is required. And it's almost like sometimes I've seen some really like young girls or specifically girls that have a lot of talent and they're doing really well in like the youth kind of lifting um, realm. And then they have their first setback, whether that's an injury, whether that's a bomb out at a competition, whether that's um, a breakup of a, of a relationship, um, their heart breaks, whatever it may be. And they realize that like this sport's hard and like there's no quick way to your goal and having that conversation and being really transparent, they kind of can be like, they go in there with their eyes open and they're like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I don't want to be a martyr to the gym for 25 hours a week for my entire life, only to miss out on a, on a, on a, on a spot in a team because someone else got it. And like, that sounds really bleak and I don't mean it in a negative way, but I think just opening people's eyes to what the sport is and what you need to give up to be at the high levels really important to do early because otherwise you can get stuck in this lofty idea of what it can be like you're sacrificing your health for so long and then it's kind of like you get to this moment where you're like 
what am I even doing? Why am I here? What have I given my whole life towards this sport only to kind of be in pain, be not sleeping, be really unhappy? So I think that that's kind of like my, my, my reflection of how I kind of came through. It's like one day you wake up and you're like, I just remember having this conversation with someone who'd been to the Commonwealth Games and he'd gotten like a bronze medal. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Like, and now what? Like now you don't even work in the, in the, in the health sphere. Like you're an office worker. No one knows that you did that. Like only you know that you did that. Like in terms of the, the notoriety around, oh, wow, we've, we've achieved so much. Like for a weightlifter, going to the Commonwealth Games and meddling is pretty much the pinnacle of their career as an Australian athlete. So then having that conversation with someone who's done that and literally it's just like, oh, now I just work at the office. Like I've gained 30 kilos, I have two kids, this is what I do. Like it's just, it really blew me away because I, I don't know why I thought it was like, once you got to that goal, you were going to have this life-changing moment and everything would be worth it. And it's like, no, actually, nothing changes. Like you step up there, you receive your medal. It's an amazing experience, but then you go back to being you. So if you're not proud of the you that you are, then maybe all that sacrifice to get that medal wasn't worth it. That was a really long-winded explanation of what I was thinking, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. I love it. And I think this is really, I think this is such a powerful and important conversation to have, especially at the start. And it comes back to this. So often, you know, women will see like what I can do with my body and like how it looks. And then they, they compare and they have this expectation, yeah. but they haven't seen the work that, yeah. you know, I've spent eight, nine, 10, even before that, I come from a gymnastics ba background. So, yeah. you know, I've spent my entire 34 years building my foundation, putting yeah. in, like you talk about, like, you know, the building the basics, coming back to, you know, nailing the basics. And so yeah. we spend all this time and put all this work in and all this time, like you just said, it takes like, you know, I was also training 20, 25 hours a week, you know, three or four yeah. hours a day, you know, twice a day, six days a week. Um, and I believe that you can do it and you can love the practice. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure that you can do it as a female and have that volume and load for a long time as a female weightlifter. I just don't know if our body can tolerate it that well, but I believe you can have a training practice that you yeah. can train a lot, you know, and you can get big goals, but like you just said, is it at a detriment to something? If it's yeah. not, that's great. You know, my, I've yeah. constructed my whole life around, I am a coach. So training's really important. I explore, I train a lot, you know, I can do all of these things, but like, I don't have, you know, a big house or three kids or all of yeah. these other things. Whereas yeah. these women have like, they have a house, they have a job, they have three kids. And then the expectation that they're putting on themselves to show up and perform or look a certain way yeah. uh, is, is huge. And it's a really important conversation to have. Yeah, definitely. I think it's probably the most important conversation when you onboard an athlete to have. Yeah. 100% agree with that one. Yeah. And I've had it, I have it so many times around <laughs> like yeah. when, when they get stuck and they, they're feeling like, you know, this resistance or, you know, they're not progressing or they're not getting results, whatever that means to them. We come back to this conversation, you know, I, and I often say, I can get you there. Do you know what I mean? Like I can, I can get you, you know, 
super strong. I can get you to change the body composition, but as, is it at the detriment to something? You yeah. know, is it like, is it actually worth it in the end? Or is it okay to like have a training practice that you love, have a body that's like, feels like strong, is not in pain, you know, yeah. and then also be able to connect with your partner, be able to spend yeah. time with your children to be, yeah. yeah so. Oh my God, totally. And I just, yeah, for myself, it was always at the detriment of something else. And I think when I realized that, I wasn't proud of the person that I had been in different situations of my life because I was tired, because I was stressed out, because my my head was always thinking about weightlifting that I realized, yeah, no one's going to remember that you came third at some comp like that, like in 2020 or 2019, nothing happened in 2020, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like no one's going to remember that, but they remember were you a good person? Like, did you have the energy to even like, bother to just be kind and I think what for me I was like I was always so angry (laughs) so tired so so pissed off that I had to train because in my head there was no like like I get to train I'm 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 grateful for my movement I was like I have to get this done because I have this program that needs to be done so sometimes even being like pissed off on the drive to the gym so then like the poor people that are around me because I'm like getting there I'm like my body feels like a burning trash can. I have to spend 35 minutes getting warm. Then I've got a three hour session. Like, of course, I'm not going to be fun to be around. I'm not going to be a pleasant training partner. And like when you're trying to be in this health sphere and you're, if you're trying to influence people in a positive way, but you yourself aren't a positive influence, it's like there's a massive disconnect. So I was like, what do I need to change? And for me, that was stepping back from being competitive because it it just needed to happen. And that doesn't mean that I don't still love the sport and I, and I like, I do the lifts and I enjoy them, but I'm no longer like trying to PB. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, let's do the movement because it's a beautiful movement and it feels great, but let's not try and load it up to a hundred percent because like that takes um, sacrifices that I'm no longer willing to kind of make. Yeah. And I think like, I think there's beauty in specializing in something, becoming a specialist. And even though we're speaking about our journeys, like they were, they were really hard. (laughs) Mine was really hard. And my relationship with weightlifting was very negative in the end. And I did take a toll on me, but you like you said before, you learn so much about yourself from the sport. And I think yeah. when you specialize in anything, you know, when you put that am- amount of time and focus and effort and attention into it, and especially with something like weightlifting, you know, if it it's so technical and it requires mm-hmm. so much attention and, and concentration and effort and work that, yeah, you learn, you learn so much about yourself. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, so yeah, there's beauty in that. And I'm sure, you know, you would have learned so much about yourself in the years that you competed in the sport. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it makes you tough. Like it makes you disciplined. There's a lot of amazing things that you can take away from it. I think it's just like, you have to be open to the lessons to learning the bad stuff too. Like you just have to be open to being like, wait, is this having a negative effect on me somehow? And like, can I remedy that? If I can't remedy that, what needs to change? 
Yeah. I think that's what I, like, I just had my head in the sand for like five, six years thinking I could do it all and give a hundred percent to every aspect of my life. And then realizing that in terms of like health as a whole, like there's more than performance and what your body can do. Like, can you sleep through the night? Like, do you have meaningful relationships and can you hold them down? Because those are the things that they're the first things to go. And I guess like, I'm sure you're, you're, you speak about this in your podcast as well. Like the, the diet piece of weightlifting, like the body weight scenarios and having to make weight for competitions. Like that's a whole nother part. Like food no longer becomes something that nourishes and fuels your body. Like it becomes a bit of a neurosis for some people. Like what can I eat? What can't I eat? What body weight class do I need to be in? Getting DEXA scans to know what my lean mass is and what my body fat is and how we can manipulate that to kind of become the top girl in my class. Like it, it gets a lot. I just think. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if it's a, if it's an aesthetic or a weight based sport for a lot of females, that can be really hard. You know, you, yeah. you already have the, the numbers as in like, am I lifting enough? I've got to lift heavier. You've got to chase the number on the bar, you know, and then you have mm. the other piece, which is the body weight piece, you know, what category will I be in? Where will I sit in that category against all of the others? Should I put on some weight so I can be there or should I lose it so I could be at the top of the other category? You know, yeah. Mm. What am, and so then you get this, this, um, yeah, this aesthetics or this waist-based sport component of it, which again, um, becomes yeah just adds another layer to yeah yeah and I think it can be like um like I know for myself I would be really good for like the 12 18 week period that was prior to the comp because I was like I know I have to be this body weight but then it really highlighted like my relationship with food was bad because as soon as that comp came around there was a good month of like not knowing when to eat what to eat like not being able to be like I'm hungry Cause it was like, I know I need to have 25 grams of protein, 80 grams of carbs and 15 grams of fat right now. Cause it's 2 PM. Like that was like, I knew what my fitness pal told me to do, but my body was like, Hey, like, do you want to listen to maybe what I want to eat? And I was like, no, no way. So when I wasn't dieting for, for a competition, it would be like, I'm just going to eat this now. I don't really know how I feel. Or I would go the complete opposite way, which was like, I'm going to eat all the things that I'm not allowed to eat. So let's just eat like all of the takeaways and pizza and burgers and alcohol and all the things that you restrict out of your life for half the year. And that's not a good place to be either because then you feel awful about yourself and it becomes this whole other internal dialogue. So yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. When you, when you speak about that, to me, it's like just erodes trust. When you hold on to something so tight and follow it so particular, like you, you have to stop listening to the body a little bit, you know, when you want to compete and you have a competition that's X amount of weeks away, you have to show up, you have to do the work, you know, you have to go into the gym, you have to lift, you have to, you have to do all of those things. Um, And even though the body might not feel like doing it, like you have to do it. And then what's happening, I think that, you know, just slowly over time, it's just eroding that trust. And then when something big happens, like, you know, you get injured or, you know, you have a lot of hormone stuff or whatever, then you no longer trust the body. Uh, And this is where I kind of want to talk about, you know, you talk about like nailing the basics and you work a lot with women. So 
is a lot of it around, like when we talk about nailing the basics, to me, I kind of think of trust, you know, and when I think of working with women in a training space, a lot of it is building trust with their body because they have like dieted for years or decades, or they've over-exercised or exercised in a way that actually doesn't support their physiology. So therefore they just don't have any trust with their body. Yeah. I'd love to speak with you around like this whole like idea of nailing the basics. Yeah. So I guess from my standpoint, in terms of like an osteopathic health lens, when I think of that, I think of like, are you sleeping? Like if you're turning up to train or to like come to a consult and you're in pain and you haven't been getting seven to eight hours sleep this week, like it's almost redundant for me to work with you not because I don't want to help you, but because like you're like, that is the number one thing you need to be doing in order to recover and in order to train. And we like, there is evidence to say, like, if you're not sleeping, like your pain is going to be increased. So if someone's really, really sore, but they've had three to four hours sleep a night because their kids been waking them up or work's been really stressful and they come in and they're like, my, my back is so sore. And I'm like, yep. And how much have you slept this week? And they say that, like, it's almost like, sure, we can do something to maybe appease the, the symptoms, but the basic principle of like recovery, sleep is not being met. Um, from there, I normally think about breathing. So we breathe like 22,000 breaths a day. A lot of people breathe more. So if we're breathing in a way that's not conducive to um, like health in general, like where maybe like neck breathing or where like we're breathing too fast, we're not fully exhaling. Um, there's a lot of like neurological dysregulation that comes with that. So we've got two branches of our nervous system. We've got our um, parasympathetic and our sympathetic. So basically when we inhale, that activates our sympathetic nervous system. And when we exhale, our parasympathetic nervous system starts to take over. Um, but a lot of people are very, very big on the inhale. So we say like, take a, take a deep breath and people are like, <gasps> they take all the air in. So it's like this massive, like sympathetic drive, but then no one actually thinks about exhaling. So everyone's like walking around in this inhaled state um, and they're not really getting that balance between inhale and exhale, which means that their autonomic nervous system is probably pretty out of whack. So that's something I always like, teach someone how to exhale and fully get the air out, get their rib cage to move down, get their diaphragm to re-dome. When you're breathing well, you should feel movement throughout your whole body, rib cage, spine, skull, pelvis, and it will kind of roll down to the joints. And uh, like the test I love to do with patients is like, put your hand on your chest, put your hand on your tummy, like where do you feel the air? And a lot of people like just feel their belly rise. And like it's not a necessarily a bad thing, but I would like to think if your lungs are in your rib cage, there should be some expansion of your rib cage when you take a breath in. A lot of people have such a rigid rib cage they, that when they breathe, like it doesn't move at all. So it's basically just the diaphragm pushing down and the guts kind of coming out forward, which is what you see when you breathe in. So the other piece of that is the sympathetic nervous system, which is the inhale nervous system, which is the like, run away from a lion, fight and flight kind of one, that lives in your thoracic spine around your rib cage. So the ganglion are around there. So if that's super, super stiff, it kind of paints this picture of a person to me, like you're stressed out, even if you don't know it, you're wired, there's no downtime, your body's not recovering, you're not in a place where you can recover from your training or even just 
get some like, um, I guess like a, a downturn in your hormones to just bring things down, to come to a place of rest. So that's like probably my second pillar of health, I'd say. So sleep, breathing, and then movement, some kind of movement practice. So as you said, like a lot of women train in a way that's not conducive to their physiology and they're kind of chasing these aesthetic goals. And even with weightlifters, like they're chasing an aesthetic goal. They're also chasing like a performance goal. So a lot of the time um, they kind of forget about movement quality being like on the top rung of like health. So it's like, okay, I can get into a full range overhead squat. I've compensated through every part of my body, but I can do it. So why shouldn't I? Like, why shouldn't I load myself more? Why shouldn't I PB? Everyone else is doing it. I want to be at the top on the WOD score. So I think like having these conversations and coming back to, okay, what's your goal? Is your goal to be an Olympic athlete or is your goal to be able to pick up your kid when she's crying in the middle of the night? And right now you're coming in and you're telling me I've got back pain and you're doing these overhead squats and they look like trash. So let's step back. Let's figure out what the basic movement pattern is. Can you do a squat that looks like a squat or does your squat look like a hinge? Can you do an overhead squat? Like an overhead squat is an incredibly complicated movement. And I think like not um, like a lot of group fitness, I suppose, like we'll just be like, oh, cool. Overhead squats look awesome. Like let's do them. And it's like, no, like, did you take the time to teach someone how to align their ribcage and their pelvis? Like, did you take the time to teach someone what an upright squat looks like? So I think <laughs> for me, like those basics are the things that I see every day in the clinic. I'm like, we're, we're, we're trying to run before we can crawl. If, if you can't do an air squat that looks relatively like an air squat, why are we loading you up? And it's hard because it's like a, tug of war between people wanting to get this stimulus of like, I'm training, I'm puffed, I'm sweaty, I'm getting doms. And then like this other tug of war of like, I'm moving well and I'm not putting my joints in a position of compromise and my nervous system is being taken care of. So it's like, we have really a really hard job of coaches of like balancing that for people. But I do really believe like people can move well and still train hard. But as coaches, we have to make smarter choices. And as weightlifting coaches in general, like the, the, the dichotomy of weightlifting of like squat, pull, press, like that's, it's been that forever. So that, that people are like, why would you change something that's not broken? But at the same time, I look around me and there's bodies everywhere in weightlifting's wake. Like there's knees, there's elbows, there's backs, there's necks. Like so many people are in pain and it's like almost this like, prideful thing of like oh that's just weightlifting and like I have said it before to my lifters like it just hurts sometimes even if you're moving really well like it just does hurt sometimes you have to move fast you have to move a heavy barbell like it's a tricky sport but at the same time if you're getting to the point where like where I was like getting up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet crawling to the toilet because I was like I can't stand upright my back is so sore I'm gonna crawl and when that happens every night for like three months and you get stuck on the floor to the point where I'm like crying out to my fiance, like, can you come help me? That's a bad, that's a bad place to be. And I feel like you have to step back and be like, how on earth did I get here? Because when you're in it, you're just doing it. But like my, I had neglected so many basics that I'd gotten to this point where like my performance was great. My health was terrible and my basics were not adequate. I couldn't do a squat that I would now call a squat. It was a 
hingy butt wink, crappy looking thing, like no, no ability to stack my rib cage in my pelvis. So it's it hindsight, I guess, is 2020, like, <laughs> yeah. but it's definitely helped paint the way that I look at the basics and the fundamentals for my lifters and my like patients, I guess. Yeah. So it's come, it comes a lot into your practice now. Yeah. Like this, this basics, you know, these pillars. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like if you, if you can't do them right, we, we need to stay there. And I guess some people probably don't love that because they want to do the sexy stuff quick. And that's fine. Like I was that person. So I can totally sympathize with that person. But I guess like sometimes having been there, you can kind of connect with someone and be like, look, I know you want to do the sexy 70 kilo snatch, but maybe let's take you back and get you just squatting well first. A lot of the conversations I have with my lifters is like, okay, we don't really back squat that often or that heavy because in my opinion, people suck at back squatting well. A front loaded squat is so much easier to do. And in weightlifting, we clean and jerk. So why do we really need to overload the back squat that much? And if I have someone that says to me, like the back squat is my favorite movement, I always ask my athletes, what's your favorite movement? And they'll say like this, this, and this. I'm like, cool, if back squat's in there, I'll give it to them once a week. But we're not maxing that. Like that is more of just a bit of a leg stimulus where the front squats is what we'll push or maybe the zercher squat or whatever it is that we're using, split squats. But like, yeah, I just, we have to once again, be aware of the trade-offs that we make. So I think, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a big one for me. It's yeah, it's there. And there's so much in this that we could really do a, an episode like on each like pillar or on yeah. each basic really, yeah. I think. Yeah. Like, and what I've been thinking a lot about it over the last week or two is this idea of like having a training practice or having building your training foundation and what is actually in that, you know, that and hearing you speak. So we have this, you know, we have the sleeping and the nourishing of the body and the nerve, like the nervous system piece. Um, you know, we have our actual training, like, is it supporting our physiology? You know, are we, do we have, you know, weightlifting is so linear. It's so up and down and it's so hard on the body. There's so much force on it. So do mm. you actually have a practice outside of that? Like you said, that is a mobility and movement practice that you're moving your body in different ways that even coming back before that, have you earned the right to have that much weight on the bar? You know, maybe yeah. you could do it, but yeah. I could tell you that you probably haven't earned the right to put that much weight on the bar, you know? I see all these people out there that are squatting this weight that they haven't earned the right to do that. I'm like, you can't passive squat even for five minutes. So let alone you don't have the range, then let's go to the next piece, which is like, you don't have the stability, the tension or the control <laughs> to actually yeah. control the external load. And then, you know, you're jumping straight to the strength piece, you know, and for sure, like you can get beginner's gains and you can, you know, you can see some gains initially, but over time, you're not going to see that. You're going to see a pain, like a painful body, an injured body, you know, a, a body that compensates, a nervous system that's shot, you know, that's why people end yeah. up in the clinic to yeah. be practitioners. Definitely. Yeah. And that's and one I thing that I love about your work is that, like you said, I, I've got so many dots, but like... <laughs> Yes. Like, but you show up in this place. That's like, 
the before, you know, you have Katie, the osteopath, which I think they're all important, but people often will only go and seek out a practitioner when they're presenting with something, but you're doing this work down the other end, which is like, let's the basics, let's build, like, let's build this training practice. Let's build this training foundation. Let's build a strong body to start with. Yeah. 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 And I just think like, as a coach and like as a practitioner, it's not as easy because obviously I'm not writing the program, but I can give advice. But as a coach, like if my lifter is getting injured, like that's my fault. You know what I mean? Like it's not just, oh, that's weightlifting. Oh, that's the sport. Oh, well, like give it a couple of weeks. Like it's my responsibility because if they've followed my program and I've led them to a place that has injured them, like accidents happen people hurt themselves but most of the time like I feel like we can see that stuff coming you know if you're regularly seeing someone move and you're like oh that's a bit sketchy and then it comes to a point and you're like it's almost like you foresee it like oh their hips irritated now no wonder I've just seen them squat for four weeks and it's looked a bit sketchy and as my job I have to pull them back and have these conversations and like so many people don't want to hear it but at the same time it's, 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 it's my like duty of care, I guess, to be able to say, I'm proud of the program I've written you and I stand behind it, but I will take feedback. And if something's not going well, like I have to adjust my expectations and so does the athlete. So I think that's really important as well. Like being like holding yourself accountable for what you're putting out there for your people. Yeah. And it could be like, one of the biggest things I've learned as a coach is to meet someone where they're at, you know, that, whether that's like uh, their mind or their body, you know, and whether that's, you know, see these, these women or these people want to lift, you know, and they want to be able to do that and they want to lift, you know, moderately. Okay. Mm. Well, like I, you know, I could strip it all away from you because like you haven't deserved to be able to, to do that from a physical performance perspective because there's so much missing on a foundation level but I yeah. also have to meet you where you're at you know yeah. if you want to use the barbell and you want to lift the weight because yeah. that brings you joy okay well then my role as a coach is to make sure that yeah. we work on you know we work on preparing the body properly creating the tension rehabbing or prehabbing or creating the stability or whatever the gap is that we see that might be creating yeah. the problem that it still allows them to do the thing that they love to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like a lot of, a lot of people, I kind of like will give them something to do like in between their sets. So if it's like, okay, this squat looks rubbish. You're compressed in a certain area. Like you're not able to get into that position. So let's intersperse your sets with something else that is giving your body what you need. And hopefully each set will get better. And that was a, um, like a concept I learned from one of my mentors, Katie St. Clair. She's like, she's all about like, we don't want to take away what makes someone happy. And if that is like the sweaty crossfit word, like, and that is what brings them joy. As you say, like, I don't want to be the big bad wolf that says, stop that. But if I can say, okay, you do that, but in between every set of snatches, you lay down and you do a rock back breathing position to get some expansion in your mid back. Or at the end, I want you to lay on your back and do some parasympathetic guided breathing with a nice long exhale to bring your nervous system back down to a place where you can rest and recover. Like, I feel like I'm giving them the tools to enable them to continue what they're doing. And that's like, it's not always going to be perfect. And they're not always going to potentially 
not have irritation or sensitivity in their body, but we've got something in place. I feel like I'm doing something to try and prevent any further irritation to their system or like, um, like tension in their body, like giving them a tool that they can do at home or in between their sets, I think is something that's one of the most valuable things that I can do for them as a coach or a practitioner. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. And it's powerful and it can be hard because, you know, sometimes what they want to do is not the right thing for them. But again, we have to enjoy the practice because, you know, we've both been in this place where there's no joy and you have that negative attachment and that creates more stress on the system. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we could talk about so much. Like I would love to talk about, and I think we'll have to do another, I would love to do another episode because I, I have seen that you're going to run some workshops on like rib cage, pelvic uh, floor biomechanics for lifting. Yeah. So I would actually love to do a like half yeah, minute, sure. five minute episode on talking about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also want to talk to you about like this pain discomfort conversation that, you know, <laughs> that comes up so much, you know, but that's a, another episode in itself as well. So I've got two ideas out of this conversation for yeah. two more episodes and one, Wonderful. the breathing pelvic floor, because I think that's a big one, especially for women, especially oh, women postpartum and yeah. all these myths around breathing and the pelvic floor. Yeah. And then the second one is around like this, the pain and the discomfort, you know, that, it's, isn't it funny that some people can experience they're okay with certain amounts of pain, like say you're lifting and they can feel a little pain, but they get to back squat, but you get them to do like a movement or a mobility piece that, you know, is going to help them, but yet they feel pain and it's uncomfortable yeah. and they don't like that pain, but they yeah. like, they don't mind the back pain that they get because they get to lift heavy. <laughs> It's, it's insane. It's yeah. And I think like I saw a post about this the other week where it was like more from a practitioner standpoint where people don't want to do their exercises because they hurt or they're uncomfortable, but then they're willing to lay on a table and have me put my elbow in their glute. And that hurts. Like that's not comfortable, but they're like, Oh, no pain, no gain. Like the amount of times I hear someone say to me, no pain, no gain. And then I'm like, cool, let's get off the table and go do a split squat and let's make you in a great position and let's offload your back and make sure you're using your legs. And they're like, this is awful. No, I can't do this. And they don't do their rehab because they're like, it really sucks, but they'll happily come every day for me to stick my elbow in their glute. So it's definitely, it's like people's, I don't even know what it is. It's like people's emotional ability to tolerate pain has so much more to do with what they're willing to put themselves, like the position they're willing to put themselves and their perceived value of that versus like the actual sensation, like A hurts and B hurts, but I like A, so I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting conversation. It it is a really interesting conversation. Uh, And it kind of the post that you just made today, you know, I, it's not my job to fix you. Like it's your job to fix you. And I think as a coach and as a practitioner, you know, you can give them the tools. That's what you're there for. 
you know, yeah. you've had the experience, you have the process, you have the method, you have the system for feedback, you have the study, you have all these tools, you know, and yeah. you can give them all the tools. You can give them the home care or the exercises to do. Yeah. But if you're continuing to come back or you're continuing to show up in your training practice and that is still an issue, that's yeah. not on me as a coach. That's actually on you because you are responsible. Brené Brown has a great saying. It's like, you're responsible for your own bounce back. You know, yeah. if you're, you're struggling with something, it's yeah. like not our role to, to, you know, bounce you back. That's, you yeah. have to do that. And your post that you made today, I really love that because it's like, it's not our job to fix you. Yeah. It's your job to fix you. <laughs> It's such a big like narrative, I think, in the health space. And I think as like manual practitioners, it's a conversation that you have so many times because it's just like, I just need you to put my rib back in or my, my legs a bit out. I just need you to do that. And it's like having to be like zoom out and try and re-educate a really, really old narrative that's been around for a very long time that manual therapy is fixing something and that it puts something back and that this is going to change. Like I try and be like manual therapy is like Panadol. It'll help with the sensitivity at the area at the time, but give it 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe even a day that's going to come back if we don't address the root cause and like giving them that that understanding and like almost putting it back on them and being like these are probably what I think the root cause is your lack of sleep your poor nutrition your lack of movement your lack of stress management so these are all things like I don't live in your house I can't come around and whack you on the head and be like come on let's go for a gentle walk hey you're a bit stressed your blood pressure's going up like you need to go meditate like I can't do that for you I'm with you 30 minutes a week sometimes less 30 minutes a fortnight so it's like having, making people realize that your health is your responsibility. I think it can be confronting for some, but can also be very empowering because it's like, wow, like I'm in charge. Like I don't need a doctor to go put my back back in. My back stayed in. It just hurts a bit. Maybe I should try moving or breathing or going in and laughing with my friends. Like there's so many elements that can affect my pain. And having those conversations, I think, is really, really hard, especially with someone who's had manual care for a very long time. But I always like to counter and be like, you've been coming for 10 years. Why aren't you better? If I fix you, why aren't you better? And they're like, oh, because this is just this is just what I need to feel better. And it's like almost like a, a light bulb moment of like, no, actually, because if you felt better, you wouldn't be coming back 10 years later. You wouldn't have seen 15 different osteopaths. You know, like you'd be out there doing, living your best life, having a great time, not in my clinic room telling me about 1994 when you had a sore leg for the first time, you know, like it's just a very, it's a very interesting kind of like place to be because you're constantly trying to re-educate without sounding like an asshole. Because I guess like being a bit like abrupt with your education, like you can come across poorly. So that's something that I definitely have to be aware of because when it's patient eight in a row and you're like, I don't put your rib back in, they're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> I'm just like, for those of you listening, I'm sitting here like actually just pissing myself laughing that like the whole time she was telling that story because that's exactly how it goes. Uh, yeah comes back to this whole thing of like the basics versus the sexy thing you know mm. and like and self-lead 
Like for sure, you know, I am there as your coach. I'm there to support you, to learn about your nervous system, how to train to like all of these things. But in the end, it's like, you have to lead self, you know? And if I, and if I have done my job as a coach, you know, you should be able to do that. That's my, that's my role. That's how I see myself. It's like, I want to create you as a teacher. You know, my coach did that to me. I'm such so good at self-leading. I have some back pain. I know exactly what to do. I have this little injury. I know exactly what to do. You know, I, I feel like this, you know, I know how to listen and pay attention and I know how to navigate and I know exactly what to do. And that's like, yeah, through you and your work. And as you as a practitioner, that's what I see you doing. And it's so powerful. It's like, I'm going to create all of these teachers, you know, all of these self Like I don't want to have a job. Like I want to almost like put myself out of business because I want them to be so good at dealing with their own issue that they don't need to come see me anymore. Cause they're like, okay, I just breathe. I know it might take a day or two. I've had a really stressful week. I'm going to go like have a hot bath, read my book, have some downtime, laugh with my loved ones, go for a gentle walk two, three days. It's better. And I always say like, if it gets to that stage where you've tried all these things and it's still not quite right, like come in, we have another chat. And sometimes just being heard is all they need. Like having someone to just kind of listen and help them digest the whole thing. But at the end of the day, like I don't want them to pay off my mortgage. Like I don't want you coming in every week just because you think you should because I fix you. If you know that you fix you, I just help you see how then you don't need me, you need you. And that's like the most powerful thing I think we can give to our people. Like, as you said, create teachers, have someone that like knows how to listen to their body and take care of themselves. Because I guarantee if you're in pain, you're not probably listening to your own needs. You, something's amiss. And it's, it's really hard to know in yourself sometimes what that is, which is why it's useful to have external bouncing boards and being like, where do I go from here? And that's what we should be. Someone that helps guide, not someone that is like the holy grail of like everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, practitioners and coaches belong in the training foundation. I believe you need practitioners and you need coaches. Yeah. But you also, that's just part of the front, like the foundation, you know, yes, you need a process and a method and a great, you know, a great, um, uh, a great program and all of that, but it's just part of it. You know how the question I love asking from three steps to awakening is how are you actually living? Not how yeah. you think that you're living, not how you want to live, but how are you actually living? That's so powerful. And I think, yeah, we're going to finish there. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So awesome. next, episode we're gonna do I want to talk about the rib cage and the pelvic floor awesome Lord love to you thanks so much for your time you're so welcome it was awesome to chat to you mate oh thank Thank you you for having me I'll see you next time Bye. you can listen to these episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts please give the podcast some love by subscribing now And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Bye for now. Hey, warrior woman, I've created something very cool. Warrior school. Do you feel like you can't get the results that you want in your training? 
you don't know how to eat to support your training and cycle? And do those irregular or painful cycles actually stop you from training? I've worked with hundreds of women and have had thousands of conversations and most have struggled with at least one of these things, some all three, for years, sometimes even decades. Warrior School was birthed from what I have learned and experienced myself over the last 13 years about training, food, and the menstrual cycle. It's an individual coaching program and online community for women who want to get strong and learn how to train with their cycles. So if you're feeling lost and disconnected from your body, if you're feeling tired and confused, and you feel like you don't have a good understanding in how to train for you, I'm here to tell you that there's something you can do about it. Warrior School teaches you how to train smart to get results. You will learn to understand what works for you and it will feel really bloody good to train. I will also teach you how to eat to support your metabolism, training and cycle. Join this community of women who lift weights, track their cycles and train with them.